0: The Automotive News Europe podcast is brought to you by Hyundai Motor Europe, one of the leading providers of electrified mobility solutions in Europe. From hybrid and battery electric to fuel cell vehicles, Hyundai is paving the way to make environmentally friendly mobility available to all.
1: Hello and welcome to the Automotive News Europe podcast for April 8th, 2021. I'm Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor of AE. Last September, Volta Trucks debuted its 16-metric ton electric truck, the Volta Zero. The Swedish startup will begin production of the delivery vehicle next year in the UK. CEO Rob Fowler joined Volta about a year ago from partial delivery specialist DPD. He says he made the switch because he wanted to help provide something that most commercial vehicle manufacturers were not, a zero-emissions heavy truck that would help reduce air pollution in city centers around the world. While sustainability is part of Volta's mission, so is safety, because Fowler says that in London, heavy goods vehicles account for a very high number of fatalities involving cyclists and pedestrians. He explained how Volta aims to make the delivery of goods in cities cleaner and safer, all while making a profit. Rob, thank you so much for being here today for the Automotive News Europe podcast.
2: Doug, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, always nice to have the opportunity to talk with you.
1: I would like to get started with a question about what is the genesis of Volta? How did this all come together?
2: So Volta Trucks has got uh, two two Scandinavian co-founders who going back a number of years saw the growth in the EV passenger car sector and saw a great opportunity in the commercial vehicle sector where they saw a a great chance to move to market first, but also to really change the design principles of an electric vehicle to focus on safety or to focus on design, to utilise the benefit of electric vehicle technology and the advantages that using batteries can give them. Um, and really to redefine the way commercial vehicles work in, particularly in urban environments where they saw a real crisis in air quality, which is continued to today, and also of a significant focus on safety inside city centers.
1: Could you also tell me a little bit about your professional and personal experience and how that got you interested in Volta Trucks?
2: Sure. So uh, my background is I joined uh, Volta Trucks around 12 months as CEO. So I was the third or fourth employee into the business. Uh, we've just got about 90 on our books now. And we're hunting for another 15 or so heads at the moment. So we've grown very quickly over the course of the past 12 months. But prior to this, I spent about 10 years in logistics. So I worked for a major UK parcel delivery company called DPD, who are known all the way across Europe. Um, and the really relevant bit was the last three years I led their uh, sort of EV and CSR type program. So I was heavily involved in their fleet, grow, EV fleet going from around five trucks to to something like 600 commercial vehicles on their fleet, so the largest UK fleet. I mean, I did everything around electric vehicles from developing small electrically assisted cargo bikes, micro distribution, urban logistics, uh, charging infrastructure networks, all the way through to answering questions from politicians in City Hall in London about how freight and urban policy works. So really kind of operational background. And I saw this as a great opportunity, Doug, where I had very... I and DPD had really ambitious plans around EV uh, and sustainability. And there was just a lack of supply coming through from manufacturers uh, in our sector in particular. And I saw this as a great opportunity to switch sides of the table um, and help that supply out. But that's also because I'm very personally driven by sustainability. I have a young family at home. I'm very conscious of the footprint that we leave behind. And really, this was a great opportunity to, to really kind of impact upon supply and impact upon the cities, which we all spend time in and we live in and we like enjoying and, and being part of. But to make sure really we had an impact on the safety and the, the fabric of a city centre that we, we all want to live in.
1: Explain why a Swedish company has decided to produce in the UK.
2: A lot of our operations is based in the UK. We still have some people in Sweden and uh, some people in France as well. But actually, there's a couple of pieces for us. There's a centre of automotive accidents in the UK, which meant that we could have access to very, very high quality. And one of the things that I really must say about Volta Trucks is that the team of people that we have is really outstanding. It's an outstanding group of people who have come together over a very challenging period of COVID and built both a great culture and a great company and have achieved an awful lot. And we have a lot more to achieve, but it, they particularly keen to stress right, that that's very team-driven and that's why we ended up in the UK, which is where there were a number of automotive engineering and um, a long history of automotive associated with the area. I think the second piece, of it is we wanted to be close to the target market. So what we're seeing in the ultra-low emission zones around London um, is restrictions coming forward. We're seeing more aggressive regulations. And actually, the cities that we've had most positive engagement and we've been focusing our efforts from a commercial perspective are really London and Paris, where both regulatory frameworks are coming forward very quickly.
1: Are you concerned at all about Europe's lack of EV battery production, and are you in a position to do anything about that?
2: I think everybody is uh, very aware of the battery situation at the macro level, but um, recently we announced a relationship with Proterra, who are the, the US-based EV technology and manufacturer, uh, around the battery solution, and... I have absolute confidence in the, the Proterra team that the contracts that we've arranged with them and the relationship that we're building, we will be able to, to secure battery supply long into the future. And we have already already gone out and secured that agreement with Proterra, and it's a very important stage and milestone in our company's development. Um, there, is a, there is going to be a challenge in the future, but I'm very confident that we have the solution to it.
1: Are you concerned at all about the ability of the grid to handle... What will be a lot more electric cars?
2: There's two parts to this question. How do we get comfortable at the macro level, the overarching grid level infrastructure? And I think in the UK uh, and Europe, here, Europe, and I think probably across the globe, there's a, a utilities companies are suddenly moving in the right direction. They recognize that they have a challenge to meet in the future, and, and I have confidence that they're going to reach that. I think where we see a, another challenge is that it's at a micro level, it's at a building level, it's thinking about how logistics companies in my sector, how they lease those buildings and can are they going to spend millions of pounds upgrading infrastructure assets to, to write them off and move out at the end of a lease. And I think what's really interesting is that this is not just a problem for the logistics companies, this is a challenge for landlords and owners of logistics buildings across the world, where actually making their buildings attractive to people in the future is going to lead to infrastructure upgrades being required. Because my uh, Coming from a logistics background, and actually I spent five years in DPD's property team as well, so I'm well-versed in uh, property matters and construction and utility-type uh, relationships, It's if you sent me out to look for a logistics building now, one of the key things i will be looking at is infrastructure. I would be looking at capacity, the capacity to upgrade, how controllable that is, uh, who's going to foot the bill for it. That would be fundamentally now on my checklist of things to consider, whereas historically it was always footprint and location, generally speaking. And I think there's been an evolution in thinking. And I think what's really interesting about that, Doug, and sorry for a long answer to the question, right, but is that um, historically, transport was a transport manager's problem, right? Transport had their own department in these large large organisations, and they could do everything, cradle to grave for a vehicle. And I think what's interesting about how DPD reacted very well, and hopefully how other organisations are reacting, is that we you start to see functions from across the business having to work together so the property team have to be there the it team have to be there to enable network access for the charging there's more and more people getting involved with this and what those companies need is someone to take a holistic view all the way across the business of electrification rather than a siloed approach of each individual function working by itself
1: are you at all concerned or perhaps this is an advantage about the impact of brexit and your ability to bring your product anywhere and everywhere.
2: Brexit has been an ongoing discussion inside of business and inside particularly the UK society, but European society for the past three or four years. And actually, when I look at it, the, the key point for me is that now that we're starting to get some clarity of information coming through, we can start to make decisions. And we have, of course, been looking at the impact of Brexit on manufacturing locations and supply chains, But as a business, we got very comfortable with Brexit and the rules around it. And at the moment, we haven't deviated plans as a result. We've been consistent in our approach, and we believe that's the right thing to do. We have factored in any concerns we have, and we are mitigated them internally.
1: And why did you come to the decision to make a heavy truck?
2: I think there's a, a couple of key points, right? I think the first one is a really big point for society is that If you look at the Mayor's Transport Strategy in London, if you look across city centre activity across Europe and the globe, there are still far too many accidents involving heavy goods vehicles and vulnerable road users, so cyclists and pedestrians. Right, So we saw a great opportunity around the safety of these vehicles. We really thought that we could do something different. We also saw a lack of action in that sector, which gave us a great opportunity as a business to move very quickly. And we saw the technology coming forward, which would mean that we can enable that to happen, which I think is also key. But I think really what's significant is that we saw a great opportunity to make an impact in one of the biggest sectors where the challenge is greatest. And in the urban distribution and city centres, city centre operating model, That's where air quality is worse, right? That's where there's most congestion, where where, where vehicles are moving slowly, there's lots of people on foot, all of a sudden air quality becomes a colossal problem. And when I combine that with safety and I combine that with regulation coming forwards, all of a sudden it presented a great opportunity to get into that sector. And I think we all want to see what we saw with, unfortunately, have the COVID period, which was when transport stopped inside city centres, all of a sudden I got, we had these incredible pictures of Los Angeles and London and the streets empty and the air and the views are like we'd never seen them before, right? And actually the beauty of EV is that we can enable that world to happen still, but we can still keep a city operating with freight going into it and parcels and product going in, right? And it's no longer you no longer have to choose these things, right? You don't have to choose between sustainability and profitability. You don't have to choose between logistics and air quality, right? We can design a world now and a fabric of a city centre that really allows city centres to be enjoyed in a way which is healthy and clean and freight can live alongside passengers, can live alongside public transport, and can live alongside pedestrians and cyclists. And that's really why we looked at that sector because we looked at these vehicles which are doing eight miles to a gallon, nine miles to a gallon. They're chugging along, they're doing 30 miles a day, but they're just kicking pollutants out. And it was a very clear point for us to have a very, very big impact quickly.
1: We'll hear more from Voltage Trucks CEO Rob Fowler after this message.
0: Hyundai Motor is one of the leading providers of electrified mobility solutions in Europe. With hybrid, mild hybrid, plug-in hybrid, battery electric and hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, Hyundai offers the most diverse lineup of alternative powertrains on the market. Under the vision of Progress for Humanity, the company aims to make high-quality, environmentally conscious mobility solutions available to all. Today, more than 75% of Hyundai's lineup in Europe is available as an electrified version. As a pioneer in zero-emission mobility, Hyundai offers a range of leading emission-free vehicles. It ranges from the full-electric subcompact SUV Kona Electric to the second-generation fuel cell electric vehicle Nexo. The company's progressive spirit is most strongly embodied in IONIQ 5, its latest all-electric vehicle and the first model to be launched under the IONIQ lineup brand. With outstanding range, ultra-fast charging technology and unique interior which functions as a smart living space, Ionic 5 is redefining electromobility lifestyles. With its fleet of fuel cell trucks, Hyundai is also ahead in zero-emission heavy-duty mobility solutions. By 2025, over 1,600 Exeon fuel cell trucks will run on Swiss roads. To learn more about how Hyundai is shaping the future, tune into Are We There Yet?, an automotive podcast hosted by Susie Perry. Get a peek behind the curtain as Susie investigates the world-changing ideas coming out of the workshops, labs, and secret test tracks of Hyundai. Tune in on any podcast listening platform as well as Hyundai.news.
1: You bring up a fascinating point that a lot of people probably aren't considering, is the safety factor. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you were going to answer that question?
2: In London, around 4% of miles are driven by heavy goods vehicles, yet they account for around 58% of fatalities involving uh, cyclists or pedestrians, right? So there's clearly a disproportionately high problem. And if you look at the commercial vehicle sector, the design of a commercial vehicle hasn't evolved for the past 50 years. You put the engine at the front, you put the driver up in the air, right? And really nobody's ever kind of thought about this principle ever again. And really that was our first sort of, key opportunity. But I think what we've looked at in our cab, if you look at the imagery of our vehicle, we've not just thought about safety, but we've thought about the driver. So we have a 220 degree field of vision around the vehicle. So we eliminate all blind spots around the vehicle. We have a 1.8 meter high eye level for the driver. So the driver can have a positive visual relationship with pedestrians and cyclists around the vehicle. And that really changes the dynamic. Yeah, We've all stood next to a truck and we've looked up into the sky and we've said, truck, can the driver see me? Does he know I'm here? There's no questions about that in our product. And what we try to do is to integrate a range of ADAS systems around the vehicle and the purpose of those ADAS systems is to try and make the driver's life as easy as they can do to try and de-stress to try and get them more relaxed to try and get them like driving a high-end premium car where you're comfortable with the safety functions around the vehicle and to really change that experience of that cab structuring and I think we should kind of be very clear is that there's a big recruitment and retention problem in logistics all the way across the globe with drivers so we've tried to create a product which people want to drive which is attractive as an employer to put people into but I think most significantly no driver goes out there on a day-to-day basis wanting to hurt people nobody goes out and says you know today's the day which I have a serious accident and injure somebody so anything we can do to help that driver to make that driver's life as easy as we possibly can do and we can do that through design while designing a great product is is absolutely it's a great thing to be able to do and i think just a final point is yeah, we've looked very carefully at the design so no more climbing up and down three or four steps 30 40 times a day step off at low height step off at the curbside every time because we've got a central driving position with vehicle doors on both sides step off in a way where the doors don't swing open so you're not knocking cyclists you're not hitting pedestrians or motorcyclists yet yeah, we've really tried to take that designing fossil for all the way through the vehicle
1: what separates you from companies such as AB Volvo and Daimler, as well as probably closer competitors such as Rivian and Nikola.
2: We've got ourselves a very clear sector. So we look at Rivian and Arrival and they're building a, a generally a smaller vehicle. They're building a three and a half ton sort of Mercedes Sprinter type product, right? and we should say, right, we applaud what they're doing. They want to change the world as well. So we're very supportive of what they're trying to do and we admire what they've achieved, right? And then we've got competitors building a bigger product. So Nikola's core kind of hydrogen HTV product is based on a long-range city to city or state to state type deployment and the same as the tesla semi coming so we kind of haven't really seen a lot of startups coming around our sector in the middle there's one or two but we haven't seen a lot of them and where we have seen them and this goes for the oems here as well is that what we haven't seen is a fundamental redesign of a vehicle and what you've seen from those existing oems is you get your diesel truck where you've got lots of technology invested in it you've got a very robust supply chain around the vehicle and you you almost build it as a diesel and then you take the diesel bit out and you put the electric bit in so what we haven't seen is fundamental improvements in design and we've seen these long-range projections have changed for 2035 and 2040 right but actually our view is is that we can do this now you know the technology is available now and that's a huge statement for us to make and I think because we are not coming from a legacy position where we have either legacy design or R&D experience or manufacturing facilities that support that means that we can take a very fresh and fast-moving approach and we, we're trying to be almost like a tech startup we're super agile we make decisions very quickly we haven't got five layers of bureaucracy to make a decision yeah we sit down we look at the facts we make a decision we're going to get some wrong but we're going to get as hopefully hopefully as many of them right as we possibly can do
1: one of the hardest parts about being in a startup or any organization that's just getting off the ground is the question about profitability. Right now, it's all investment, investment, investment. Can you give us some idea as to what the plan is and how long you think it will take in order for the company to be profitable?
2: As our company has matured over the past, certainly over the past 12 months, we have much more comfort in our financial modeling, in our unit cost, in all those economics around the vehicle, right? Which gives us a lot more certainty in our business planning. And we're very comfortable with when we're going to reach that point of profitability. We thought very carefully about not just how we look at the product, but how we look at the truck as a service proposition around that product as well. So those other services which facilitate and enable electrification. So whether that's supporting our customers with charging and hardware, and actually the strength of our business is that we've been able to offer, we're able to offer a full suite of services around that vehicle. And that contributes to your business model very carefully as well, as you could imagine. And what we've tried to do is we've tried to make sure we invest in areas where we can get maximum value. We've tried to invest in areas where we can have the biggest impact, where we can develop certain componentry and IP within the vehicle, which is really valuable to us, right? So what we try to do is to balance some of those capital requirements about against unit cost and against long-term profitability for business. And we're very comfortable with the way that our business model is built, with the level of investment which we continue to need, and how that translates into profitability in the future.
1: Okay. Now, in all of that answer, I didn't hear a very important fact. When?
2: We reckon we'll be profitable inside, um, inside the next few years.
1: With all of these companies that are coming onto the market through SPACs and other avenues, is there any push or any adrenaline for you folks to go in that route, or are you comfortable with the way you've got things going right now?
2: I think we've we've seen this massive tailwind around the the industry in general and the, the companies going public through the, the SPAC methodology, particularly in America. But we haven't we haven't committed to a firm a firm capital raising plan for the future. So we've been. We've are not. We we've not taken any option off the table. We know that we need to continue to raise capital, as you touched on. We're a very capital-intensive business. Um, we're confident that we will raise that capital, but we haven't set in stone a plan or a mechanism for how we do that.
1: Are we witnessing a golden age when it comes to new mobility ideas?
2: I think absolutely. I think this is the era of mobility, and I think there's a number of things which are happening which has made that made that come real, Doug. I think you've seen an increase in regulation and people's uh, cities looking at transport in general. I think you've seen consumers understanding the impact of of, uh, their delivery on their footprint. And I think you've seen logistics companies coming under pressure from their customers and from their shareholders to really make a change. So all of that's kind of coming together at this point. And as we see urbanisation increasing and people moving into city, all of those tailwinds are are moving in the right direction. But I think one of the fundamental points of why this is happening now, is becoming quite clear to me, and that is Historically, these things, you couldn't make them pay. As a business, it was very difficult to make the return on investment case for going down this and you have to substitute profit and sustainability. And I think what we're seeing now is products coming forward where the TCO is now showing a point where you don't have to make that swap anymore. And I think that really is sharpening people's mind. And I think the regulation is really driving this as well. I think you're seeing people recognize that getting into urban locations is part of their service, right? You can't offer a next day service anywhere in France but not the center of Paris, right? So it's not just about the profitability, it's about the service as well. And I think we will continue continue to see both prices and the prices of manufacturers has come down over a number of years and I'm sure will continue to come down And that will continue to support that TCO model. And really, I think what's interesting, and you see this is there's a lot now people who are interested in investing in sustainable businesses, businesses which can make a positive impact. And that's really where we've seen a lot of investment come forwards across the sector. So it's a great time to be here. I think the key point for me, though, is that those people making fleet procurement decisions for the first time probably ever have visibility of the technology. They have visibility of the TCO modeling. They have operational experience coming through now. And it's really simplifying that choice to switch into
1: an electric vehicle. All right, the perfect time to do this. Thank you so much, Rob, for joining us today for the Automotive News Europe
2: podcast. Thank you, Doug. Always a pleasure to talk to you.
1: We reached Rob Fowler at his office in London. If you have an idea for a future podcast or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me at dbolduck at autonews.com for breaking news, please visit europe.autonews.com. You can listen to this podcast and a range of others from the Automotive News Group on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, or on our website at europe.autonews.com. That wraps up this episode of the Automotive News Europe podcast for April 8th, 2021. I'm Doug Bullduck, Managing Editor of a Thanks so much for stopping by. Hope you'll tune in again next time.